Hello and welcome to the second half of the conversation with the English grammar detective. This is part two. If you haven't listened to part one, go back to the previous episode. Otherwise, enjoy the rest of the conversation. Yeah, I agree. I mean, um, I bought grammar books when I was a student and I enjoyed it was like doing crosswords you know it was yeah it was it's great solving a mystery in a it's way solving a, yeah exactly uh, but the thing is some because now for example we've explained the the present simple the present continues the future but what students often find difficult is how can I know like how will I remember all these all this information when I speak. When I speak, I don't. I can't. Yeah. I don't have time to think. Okay, is this something that it's out of my control, or uh, is this something temporary? Let me think. Because if you start thinking yeah. like that, and most students do, you know, most students, yeah. they start thinking about rules. No, no, no. The, you can even hear them think. No, no. This is the, the present perfect, and then they speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the solution? I still haven't found. Like what I say to my students is one day will become automatic. You know, the more you do it, the more, you know, the more you, it it will become like, like driving, you know, when you drive first, you need to think the first times you, you think, okay, first this, then that, but then the more you drive, then you don't think about it, right? You don't have to. That's right. So is this what you would suggest or? Absolutely. Uh, and it's the same for native speakers, right? Although we may have a class in grammar in kindergarten or grade one, we also get massive amounts of exposure listening to our teachers, our parents, watching TV, um, practicing it, getting feedback from teachers, parents scolding us and saying, that's not what you should say, you should say this. So there's a feedback loop. Mm-hmm. You have to use it. You have to practice it. And by the way, um, a lot of students are studying English in their home countries where there's not a lot of exposure. But now we have YouTube, we have TV, we have streaming services. They can get a lot of exposure to English, and you can always read. And for me, reading is an essential learning component of English. I don't know about other languages. Some languages I understand are taught verbally because of the tradition of a verbal culture, perhaps. English has a very rich history of literature, of written word and in my education we were forced to read a ton of material novels stories essays articles constantly because when you read you can see all of these elaborate patterns in context especially when you're a child and you're reading stories great way to learn verb tense because stories often oscillate between the past and the present and the future in a context where you're engaged so you get this exposure And of course, you've got to practice it. So although I enjoy being a grammar detective on my live show, it's not that I I, I espouse learning only grammar and magically you'll be a a fluent English speaker. That's nonsense. You have to speak. You have to read. You have to write. You have to listen. You have to do all of them together, Uh, probably in equal amounts. You know, I meet a lot of students uh, who don't like reading, uh, don't write, and they they want to be fluent in English. And I think, well, you probably won't be. <laughs> Sh- show me any great speaker 
and I can almost guarantee you they're very well read and constantly read. Um, the most eloquent uh, speakers, you know, that we may see, politicians, some politicians, not all, obviously, um, TV presenters, uh, anyone who speaks beautifully and eloquently, I can guarantee you they read a lot and probably write. They have a lot of exposure to language structures and all the varieties. Um, one of the things that, I don't know if it's unique to English, most languages can do this, but one of the things that is kind of cool about English, well, I, I think it's kind of one of the hidden coolnesses of English, is that, as I said earlier, it's got this mishmash of influences, and therefore there's a degree of irregularity and contradiction in there. And you know this idea that, well, it follows this rule sometimes and then ex breaks the rule over here. It can do that. And because it can do that, it makes English incredibly dexterous, very flexible, and very creative, which is perhaps why we have a lot of poetry, literature, music, um, because there's just so much you can do with it. You can create new expressions. You can create uh, new vocabulary. And eventually, if it's adopted, if it expresses a meaning, it will make its way into the uh, conservative Oxford dictionaries of the world, you know. Um, but it's daunting to learn. Yeah. But I always encourage my students, once you get better at it, more proficient, you can do all kinds of fun stuff with it, right? It, but it takes time. It takes practice. It takes exposure. Um, it takes getting feedback. All of that incorporates you can't learn the language just by studying grammar that i would never say that yeah i just think grammar is an important element of it but it's just one element in your case for example fabio it sounds like you've read a lot you writing reinforces the things you've learned and maybe try uh, you've probably had a lot of great teachers to give you feedback you've probably put yourself in a position to get a lot of english exposure whether it's mm -hmm. uh, media or uh, yeah. travel yeah yeah. And um, you've, you've tried speaking, however scary that can be, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Um, the, the, the problem with grammar, I think, is that students, learners, but humans in general, they, they want to find order, right? They want to categorize things and they want to see regularities because I think our yeah. brain doesn't like, you know, why is this like this, but that one is not the same. Yeah. So many students who are like they're fixated with this idea of right or wrong in textbooks, yeah. textbooks, they reinforce this thing. So if you say, I've been to Canada, it's wrong because you should use the past because maybe it's an exercise on the past simple. So you should say, I was in Canada. It's not right or wrong. I can say the plane leaves tomorrow or the plane is going to leave tomorrow. It depends on what I That's mean, right. right? It depends on how I right. see the action. And this is something that uh, I think that the soon, the sooner you realize that, you know, grammar is not right or wrong. It's not, I should use this, not that. It's more, what do I want to say first? Absolutely. And then I, I use the, the grammar. Yeah. Okay. That's, the, that's the beauty of having all these different structures, they all communicate something sometimes drastically different, sometimes subtly different, right? And students may say, well, why do we need that? Well, because you're human, and your human brain can distinguish between 
these different nuances because we're trying to make sense of our reality. Um, give an example, a recent example. Someone asked me about conditionals. And they said, why do we need four conditionals? Why do we need these unreal conditionals? Like, uh, if I had studied Italian when I was young, I would be able to speak with Fabio in Italian today. Why do we need that? And I said, because our brains can conceive of it. As humans, we can conceive of alternative realities, hypotheticals. What would have happened in the past if I had done something different? We have regrets, misgivings. We have ideas about if today's reality were different, right? If I had a million dollars in my pocket, what would I do? Would I be talking to Fabio or be running down to the Ferrari dealership and buying a car? <laughs> Neither of which is going to happen today because I don't have a million dollars in my pocket because our brain can conceive of those things or perceive of them in the world around us. We need language to communicate that. We, we need language to think that in the first place, to structure that idea and distinguish it from, um, you know, when I get my million dollars tomorrow, I will buy a Ferrari. That's a very different idea. <laughs> yeah. So we need these different grammars because our brains are capable of perceiving and conceiving of these thoughts. And without the language, you certainly can't communicate those ideas, and you probably can't really understand how you feel about it inside. You know, we, we would be uh, thinking and communicating like a child, which is why children develop language in the first place, too. As they learn more and develop more complex ideas, they're going to need com more complex language to communicate it and just process it, I think. Brilliant. So. Right. Yeah, it's... I also also think in learning and teaching, we have to distinguish our what's happening. Like, if a student comes to me and says, "Teacher, do we really need to learn grammar?" I, I might perceive that they're being fr they're experiencing frustration, mm. and that they got a bad grade or they're having trouble understanding it. So therefore, they're tired and exasperated with learning grammar, and they're projecting that and trying to get me to say, yeah, you don't need it. <laughs> Those are different things, right? Just because you're sick of it, just because you don't like it, doesn't mean you don't need it. That's a different thing. And the same with teachers. When teachers are uncomfortable teaching grammar because their understanding is limited, maybe, sometimes they start creating excuses why we shouldn't teach it, right? And I've seen that in a bit of movement, especially online, where they're like, developing alternative approaches to education and then saying things like, we don't need grammar. What's really behind that? <laughs> yes, we need speaking. Yes, we should update our, our teaching methods. But just because you are uncomfortable with grammar doesn't mean we don't need it. That's a different thing. So I think in learning grammar and teaching it, we have to be clear about what we're experiencing with it, right? Um, it can be daunting, but like you said, it, all, learning any language takes time at the moment until we get, you know, translator computers implanted. <laughs> it takes time, and you've got to reinforce it with all the other skills, practicing yeah. the other aspects of communication. Um, yeah, I'd say. I remember uh, a famous drummer said, 
that the drummers who who say who claim that techniques uh, is not important when you play the drums, you know, you can just right. play. You know, it's just um, you don't you don't need to study the techniques. You don't need to study technique. You don't need, you don't need to have technique. Those are the drummers who don't have technique. So they say, mm-hmm. well, technique is not important. We can just play without it. You can just, you know, self-study. And But those are the ones who don't have it. They're always the yeah. ones that who don't have it. Those who have technique, they will, they will never say um, that technique is not needed to play an instrument. So... Mm-hmm. And it's the same there with There may be grammar. different ways to learn that. Yeah, there may be different ways to learn and develop that technique. That That's something we can debate. But the, the technique is always there. It's either good or bad. Exactly. Right? And it makes you a better you, communicator, a better musician. Absolutely. Right? If you have technique. And you can communicate yeah. through music. You can communicate better. The same with grammar. If you have good grammar, you can communicate better like my girlfriend has never studied grammar never i mean in school but mm, you know the old-fashioned way she can speak english because she's lived uh she lived in known in um in australia and new zealand and she can communicate she can communicate well but her grammar you can i mean if you ask her why why did you say that or it's not that she has to explain it, but you can tell that she has never opened a grammar book because she still right. make makes some mistakes. She doesn't know the difference between, you know, uh, past perfect and, and present perfect, yeah. for example. Um, but she can communicate, not as yeah. well as, I think, a person who has studied grammar and has been exposed mm-hmm. to the language like she has. Um, that goes to the question of how much grammar one needs. Mm. And that all depends on your personal goals, right? If, exactly. If you just want to communicate with your friends or have a romantic relationship with someone, maybe you don't need the most uh, precise grammar. But look, if you're going into academics or you're going into professions, a degree of precision is required in your communication so that a very precise or I- expression of a complicated idea is there, um, you're going to need a, a really high level of control over your grammar so that you can use the specific grammar needed to express that specific precise idea. Otherwise, people won't understand with any precision. Um, and this also points our way to writing. Writing has a higher degree of obligation for precision because when you read a book, or an article, the writer is not with you in the room. Mm-hmm. When you're talking with your girlfriend and you don't quite understand or you're not sure if that's what she meant, you can you can ask her to repeat, you can ask her to reframe the, the <laughs> thing she said, or you can clarify in all kinds of ways. You also pick up on the body language. Writing, none of that's available. It's got to be there in the sentence. So if someone wants to learn to write or wants to write professionally or... Uh, needs to write for academic reasons or professional reasons, a higher level of precision is required. So I would tell that student you're going to need better grammar, better command of it. Yeah, You're going to need a wide range of structures that you can draw on to distinguish between this idea and this idea yeah. for uh, the person you're communicating to. 
Um, a lot of students are also afraid to admit what they really want the language for, right? I work with a lot of students at language school, and I always ask this question, what are your goals? What do you want to learn English for? Some of them just need to pass a test because that will lead to a job in their country, just mm -hmm. a sort of a, a step you have to take. Some of them want to study abroad in an English-speaking university environment. Uh, some of them, if you really get talking with them, they just want to travel and make friends. Okay, those three different students all need different language. Um, somebody wants to work in international business or international politics. Well, you, you better study. You better get your grammar up <laughs> because asking someone out on a date for a coffee is a hell of a lot different than debating international policy. <laughs> right? Yeah. So it all depends on the student's goals too. Yeah. That's, I guess, what I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah. Because my girlfriend yeah. has always said, I... I don't care if my English isn't perfect. I just need to get by and mm -hmm. I can get by. That's it, you know. And it's, it, I mean, it's totally fine. Not everyone uh, needs to have C2 English or no. even B2 English. Like you can be happy with your B1 English to travel. That's yep. to travel, it's fine to be an intermediate student. Just need to buy things and order food. You know, it depends on where you want to, where you want to, what level you want to get. Um, That's right. Okay. Uh, by the, yeah, tell me, tell yeah, me. I was going to say, by the, by the way, I'm married to a woman from Japan who's, huh. for whom English is the second language. She's really good at English, but she makes grammar errors, and we managed to maintain our relationship for the last 20 years. So wow. she doesn't have the precise... English grammar that would, uh, uh, you know, pass muster for a dissertation mm -hmm. document. But I understand her. Yeah. Right. And uh, do you speak Japanese? Not. Well, yeah. Like a baby. Okay. <laughs> I, I studied it in university and there was a time when I used it more often. But because she immigrated to Canada, our, our home language became English so she could develop her skills so she could work here uh, and my so her English evolved and my Japanese devolved uh, and mm -hmm. embarrassingly whenever we go back to Japan to visit her family every visit my Japanese is diminished more and more <laughs> because I don't because I don't practice it right yeah. I can remember the Japanese grammar rules but but I don't I don't practice so I can't use it very well yeah rules will never yeah. I mean, you can't communicate rules like you you no. they they're useless when it comes to communication yeah okay yeah. they're just structures paul uh amazing conversation thank you so much uh thank I, you i want to say to our listeners that uh they should check out they must check out your youtube channel because even the the film like they're short movies right short movies yeah. with investigations uh they're very well feel very very well made thank you that's the uh english weirdness series right yeah when, when i made that it, it's just go back to the grammar detective thing when i made english weirdness i wrote each episode like a sherlock holmes story wow right in sherlock holmes sits in his apartment with watson sipping scotch and having a cigar and a pipe and then someone comes in with a mystery. So English Weirdness was about students 
having a miscommunication and then coming to see their teacher Paul for the mystery solving. But I didn't, at that time, I didn't really understand that I should turn this really into a full-on detective story. So that came later, the, the costume and all that. But English weirdness is really solving these nuanced grammar mysteries and then, you know, all the animation and stuff that, that we put in there. Yeah, I'm very proud of that. I made that with my students at my language school. Yeah, I was wondering who are those people, like the students, like they were the actors yep, were your students. students. Wow. Amazing. Yeah, they're not actors at all. In fact, a lot of them were shy kids. Hmm. Um, but they they trusted me, and um, I, I wrote everything, so they they didn't have to, you know, Improvise. they just read their lines. Yeah. Um, but a lot of them were were shy kids, afraid to use their English, and they thought this would be a chance to try something new. Fantastic. In a safe, supportive environment. And after that experience, they really kind of came out of their shell a bit. Great. I'm very wow. proud of their, their work, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that's actually one of the first uh, clips that I've watched. And uh, it was great. Like the story, the... I thought, who does this... <laughs> who does Paul work for? Like for uh, Hollywood, where did they get these people? But no, actually, they're your students... And uh, yeah, yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Um, For me, it was a, a chance to indulge my childhood. My childhood dream was was to be a filmmaker. So mm. it was a chance for me to play detective, be a teacher, and be a filmmaker too. So I got to write. Uh, I edited that stuff. I had a one student was a film student, so he did all the camera work, uh, and we edited together, put all the music and everything, and animation. So it was, a, it was a really fun experience. Fantastic. So where can people find you, Paul? On your YouTube channel? Well, the YouTube channel, The Grammar Detective. That's the name of the channel. Um, my website is hardboiledenglish.com. Hardboiledenglish.com. Yeah. Um, I'll, put, that's sort of, I'll put everything in the show notes. Great. Yeah. Hardboiledenglish.com is sort of where everything is centralized. You can find out information about my tutoring services, my videos, my merchandise, right? The yeah. <laughs> grammar detective merchandise. Uh, all that stuff is in one place there. So it's a good starting point to find me. And if anyone's interested in working together, you can contact me through there. Right. Okay. Yeah. And by the way, the, the podcast, the Trouble with Writing podcast I do with the, the two other chaps where you and I met is also on the YouTube channel. Yeah. That's great for uh, now you you're having more guests I think right uh, yeah uh, you were our very first guest wow okay yeah and uh, we we enjoyed that so much we we want to continue doing that thank you that's great yeah, it was, it was uh, our pleasure to have you on it was great all right uh, detective Paul thank you for joining the show I'll catch you next time <laughs> you bet Thanks, Fabio. Cheers. Okay, I hope you enjoyed this second half of the conversation with Paul. Check out his YouTube channel. It's amazing, really. Check it out. It's in the show notes. And I have a private email list where I send one email a week. I send news updates on contents, on articles that I write. I write to inspire. I write my stories about how I learned English. I organize book clubs. 
I do many things on that newsletter. So the link to join my private email list is in the show notes. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I hope you will join the next episode of Stolaroid Stories with another true story. Bye-bye, guys. Bye-bye.